0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Can anyone tell me of a podcast worse than this? Anyone? Please? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a smoke-filled recording studio built here at my office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. On this week's episode, uh, before we get started, a reminder, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine show. Uh, but on this week's show, we're going to talk about reaming your own pipes and why you really shouldn't ever do it. Um, and, and my guest is John Semmel. John Returns. We had him on back in uh, back over the summer, so we got more stories of uh, pipe shops and pipe makers with John. Uh, music based off of the rave that I'm going to give, or more of an observation that I'm going to give in the uh, rant time at the end of the show. Uh, mailbag. And all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, Remember, if you could, please, 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 really appreciate it. If you are registered with Apple Podcasts, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the heck they're calling it this week. And leave us a five-star rating and a review. That would be absolutely wonderful. We would greatly appreciate that. And now that the holidays are over, please keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine radio show to all your friends, family, enemies, frenemies, all your uh, Zoom clubs and all that. So uh, just keep sharing out the show and let people know how to find it. That would be absolutely wonderful. Remember, brand new shows come out every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and they're available for download and streaming from that time on until eternity or all the gigabits melt. Alright, so that's it. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. Everybody wants the best smoke, but you have to use the best tobacco. It just makes sense. Pipe smokers who know great tobacco choose Seattle Pipe Club blends. They're America's favorite luxury tobaccos. Plum Pudding, Mississippi River, Deception Pass, Wild Man, and all of master blender Joe Lankford's blends are legendary. Seattle Pipe Club is handcrafted with the finest tobaccos and old-world methods that take a little bit longer to
1: make. The perfect reward for pipe smokers like us. Treat yourself to Seattle Pipe Club luxury blends. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com.
0: And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And so the story goes, I got a, uh, I, I got a, question slash message from a listener and of course I lost the uh lost the original email message but anyway I've still got the I still got the brain power a little bit left uh and he asked about what is the best way to ream or how should he ream and maintain his pipes now let me tell you First of all, I am the leading expert on my own opinion, and here is my opinion on the way that you can screw up your pipe the fastest possible way, and that is, well, the second fastest way is to go at it with a reamer and not know what you're doing with the reamer. Uh, the se- the first fastest way is to go at it with a drill and try to open up the air hole without knowing what you're doing or re-drill stuff, so don't do that. Um, I've covered this before, but I'm going to reiterate it again because I think it is really important. Uh, I have practice with using a reamer, and I am slightly comfortable with a with the senior reamer. It's the bigger one that opens, and you know you screw it down, and it opens up the claws, and then it closes up and stuff like that. And it does not do near the amount of damage to or potentially near the amount of damage to the bottom of the bowl that some other reamers do so that would be my first suggestion Uh, before you go after a pipe that you like with a reamer go on to ebay and buy a box of junk pipes and practice with a reamer on that box of junk pipes Go on there, get six pipes for you know eighteen dollars plus shipping, whatever. Abused, found in grandpa's, uh, you know, grandpa's desk drawer, whatever. And practice on them with the reamer that you have purchased. Practice, practice, practice. Uh, do not attempt to use a pipe knife until you really know what you're doing with it, because you can chatter up the bowl and really do some damage. Uh, You can really dig down. You can actually lower the tobacco chamber below the draft hole if you don't know what you're doing. And you really don't want that. So, again, be careful, be careful, be careful. Practice, practice, practice. Um, Now, here's what I do. I don't let a whole bunch of cake build up on my pipes. And when it comes time for me to do any kind of reaming, I just use a little bit of sandpaper on my finger and just smooth down that cake and smooth down that cake and as long as you've just got a little bit and you're only working with a little bit your finger and some six or eight hundred grit sandpaper is not going to do near the damage potential that you and a big metal blade could do to your pipe. Uh, If it gets too bad and I've gone too far or I really care about the pipe Well, that's when I pay the money and I send it off to somebody who has years of expertise. We've had them on the show in the past. You can go back and find all kinds of uh, pipe repairmen, restoration people. Uh, Pick out the one that you like. Send it off to them. Let them do the reaming and whatever you do do not let anybody ever ream your pipe bowl down to fresh wood unless you are dealing with some nasty funky ghost if there's a bad flavor in the bowl then that's the only time you really want to go back down to fresh wood again because that cake you're going to have a hard time getting the flavor out of that out of that so you know again you just just be careful Uh, We've also talked about, you know, getting ghosts out of pipes and kosher salt, salt and alcohol. I like the coffee method. I've got plenty of used coffee grounds around the house and just pack it and let it sit for two or three days. Let the wet coffee do its job and dry out in there. But again, you got to be really careful when you are dealing with a reamer or a metal tool that you don't uh, knock the bowl out of round that you ream it evenly that you don't over ream the bottom of the bowl and start taking out wood uh you know you you can you can literally do more damage than you can good with a bad reaming job (laughs) Uh, if you see a pipe that's been badly reamed and it's on the estate market i'd ask for a discount because you're going to have to spend some time to really build up the cake again evenly in certain areas and I've gone through that and done that, and I had one. I have one pipe that it took me, the better part of about two years of smoking it very gently, once a week or so, to rebuild that cake smoothly and evenly, and get the pipe back to perfect smoking shape. Uh, so yeah, ask for a discount because let me tell you, that's a lot of work. All right, there you go. Comments or questions, email me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. And in just a moment, my conversation with, uh, well, my return conversation with John Semmel. This is Internet Radio.
1: Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for a second time is uh, John Semmel. John, your first time on the show. That one aired on... uh, July 7th. So it's been, wow, it's good. It's been six months now, if I'm doing math correctly. And I usually don't do math while I'm doing the show. So I apologize. But uh, if you guys didn't hear it, go back, listen to that one, and then come back and listen to this one. But uh, John Semmel, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: So last time you were on the show, we talked about your. Um, <laughs> we we talked about your ride on the back of a uh, moped through Rome to go get your first pipe at uh, Becker and Musico, and I thought maybe you know I'd love to hear more of your stories of some of your favorite pipe shops or the you know some pipe shops that you've been to because uh, you you've also been around the world a little bit so. Uh, First, let, let's start off with you're based in New York. What were some of the pipe shops uh, that are no longer with us that you used to go hang out in in uh, in New York City?
1: Oh, boy. It, it's sad that these places were such institutions, and, and all of them are gone. So some of the ones I remember, for example, Arnold's. Uh, what a lovely shop. And I always had a great experience. I never was made to feel at any point, regardless of my budget, which was small at the time, that I wasn't as important because I wasn't buying something substantial. And I remember as well, that they were so focused on ensuring that whatever you bought and walked out with that you're real happy about. So I looked at a pipe, I I looked at the shape, I really loved it, it was one of the Savinelli line, one of the less expensive ones, and it was a big pipe. And they, they put one of those pieces of plastic over the mouthpiece so I could feel like what it would feel like in my mouth when I put it in, <laughs> in between my, my my teeth, and it felt heavy. And the salesperson looked at me and said, if it's not comfortable, you're not going to use it. And if you're not going to use it, don't buy it. Wow. And this was during their sale where every every summer they had, I think it was like a 20% reduction or something, and I was all excited to go in and buy something. And the one thing that caught my eye was the one thing that wasn't right for me, and and the honesty of the salesperson to ensure that i wasn't just going to buy something walk out get home and then have buyer's remorse i really appreciated that and i became a customer of theirs over the years and i I was never a substantial customer but I, i always appreciated the experience and i found almost uniformly wherever i've been around the world that there's something magical about going into a pipe shop when people do it right and for the most part they do
0: Let's back up for a minute, because you mentioned something. The, the little plastic cover, uh, I, I bet a lot of the listeners, a lot of the old timers will know of them. I used to call them pipe condoms, but it was literally like a, if I remember correctly, it was a, a small, uh, kind of shaped like a, like a little baggie that would just fit over the stem. So that way you could test drive the pipe without actually coming into contact with it.
1: That, that's exactly right. It was probably the length of half a finger. And, and the width of about a finger and a half, and then they'd slip it over the mouthpiece and hand you the pipe and say, see what it feels like in your mouth. And, and as we all know, as, 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 as pipe smokers, how it feels in your hand and how it feels in your mouth can be very different depending on the weight and the shape and the balance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that feel with your hand of the stem doesn't always translate to what's going to happen inside your mouth.
1: And, you know, are you going to do you plan on walking around with it? Or are you going to sit in your easy chair and and smoke it? Or do you plan on clenching it or just hanging it? All of those things are going to be a factor. And I I didn't know as much when I started out. And I tend to clench down on pipes. And I'm surprised that 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 my jaw still works as a result. (laughs) But over time, I I learned the art of hanging the pipe. And I've had a much more enjoyable experience because my jaw doesn't ache after two hours. So uh, at the beginning, I, I loved the big pipes, and the folks who I would buy pipes from always made sure to double-check that it was comfortable. Yep. So I have a similar experience, for example, at De La Concha. I had found a till's head. and this was, this was in the early 90s. And it was a beautiful till's head Dublin, and it was a big piece of wood. And they were so kind because, again, I was on a very limited budget, and they said, "Well, you know, we'll, we'll try to make this work for you." They're always thinking ahead too. Like, hey, you know, if someone has a good experience, they're going to keep coming back. And and they they sold me that Tills head, and I just loved that thing. But it was it was a honker, you know. I, I was definitely a hand pipe. It wasn't the kind of thing you're going to clench down or hang in your mouth. It was probably I don't know seventy grams. But the grain was beautiful, and it was the first smooth pipe that I owned, and I didn't care. I just I I, I used it and abused it until it, it until I think I wound up giving it as a gift to somebody who was the first time pipe smoker, and said this is well loved, but it it it's it's well functioning, and and enjoy it.
0: <laughs> uh, what other pipe shops were you in in Manhattan?
1: I was at Wilkie uh, a few times before they closed, and in fact. They were so kind to me. I, it, it, I bought my first Dunhill, ever from 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 Wilkie. It was a it was a pre-smoked, 1960s or 70s LB Shell Group Five billiard, and it was 150 dollars. and I didn't have that money and couldn't do it. And then they turned to me and said, "You know what? We're going to be closing the shop soon. It probably cost us more to ship it and insure it, and all that other stuff. We'll we'll sell it to you for 75." And I bought that pipe, and I loaded it with my favorite tobacco from Wilkie. And I must have been skipping down the street all the way home because I just loved that pipe, and I I had it for years and years and years. So um, they were really good to me. i I had been a connoisseur. uh, Ed Barak, certainly a character. I never Mm -hmm. really got acquainted with his pipes, but I used to buy tobacco there, and I always thought it was a a fun little journey that I was going into this little subterranean uh, shop, (laughs) <laughs> in in this arcade, right down several escalators in the office building to buy pipe tobacco. There, there was something that felt very cloak and dagger about it, so I, I definitely enjoyed visiting that one. And the bar, the Barclay Rec Shops, which always had a, a decent selection, and uh, it was New York was just full of wonderful places to go. And then there was a place all the way downtown that was just south of Union Square, called University University Tobacco, and the proprietor there, Steve, was was a wonderful guy always had a great crowd even though it was a small shop and and knew how to pick pipes and i bought a lot of fine things there a lot of Larsons. and um unfortunately like all the other pipe shops they they kind of went away but um it was these were just great places to hang out and it was almost like rip Van winkle you walk in you're expecting to be there for five minutes and then you're looking there's two hours gone and you smoked a pipe and you're <laughs> and the sun's gone down while well, you've been in there and you you wonder where all the time went, but at least it feels like it was well spent.
0: Did these New York shops, did they did each one kind of specialize in one brand or a couple of brands of pipes, or did they carry you know, did they compete with each other on the same brands?
1: That's a really good question. I if I remember properly, they they tended to stock a variety of, of price points so that anyone coming in could find something. The big commercial names in Italian pipes, Savinelli, for example, different lines of Savinelli, Costello, Dunhill, the Davidoff store had Davidoff pipes. And then there were a few places that had things that were a little off the beaten path. So Davidoff had a selection of Larson's, and uh, University of Tobacco had Larson's. And these were wonder These were late '90s, uh, early '90s to late '90s production. Some really nice stuff. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other shops. Ed Barack only sold Ed Barock pipes. Yeah. <laughs> and and was uh, unfamiliar apparently with with all the other brands that were out there when I asked him. <laughs> He, he got he got a little bit agitated when i asked him about things other other than the connoisseur pipes uh <laughs> you can edit that one out but it's true uh <laughs> i think he was so kind he, of famous for that no <laughs> so it was hilarious the only time that I, I literally asked him one point i said do you have other things like dunhills or beckers or other names that i gave him? And he looked cross like uh, like I didn't know what I was talking about. How would I ask such a question? Clearly, I was I was <laughs> I was ignorant. And he he would he would kind of look at me blankly, like he didn't know what those names were, and begin talking about the connoisseur pipes until he decided that he was also going to go into the refurbished business, and then started carrying refurbished Dunhills. So I guess he found out about those at some point along the way, in addition <laughs> to his own work. But the 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 pipe shops, some of them specialized. Uh, you know, uh, if I remember properly, Arnold's had El Tangs, for example. I bought an El Tang there years and years ago when they were still around, and there were some uh, big variety of pipes at, at Dela Concha. Barclay Rex basically had a lot of the, the the big names that you'd remember, the Italian names, the Siriacos and the Costellos.
0: Did so when you bought a pipe, I would, and I guess if you were just in there visiting, we're we're not talking about a big lounge setup, we're talking about a small shop, but you could hang out in there and smoke your pipe and talk to the guys.
1: Yes, absolutely. That that was the fun part. So now that you bought your toy and you got really excited about it, you, you, you got to just use it right there in the spot. And they they always had tins behind the counter that were open, stuff that they smoked all day and they talked to you about the different tobaccos, or if you had one that you enjoyed, you just pull out your pipe, and they had everything there for you, and you could hang around the shop, and it was fun because there were other people doing the same thing, and you're just exchanging information and asking questions and learning about other stuff you may not have seen before. De Contra, once a year, I, I really love this. They had a Dunhill dinner, Ooh. so they would have a trunk show and a three-course meal, and it was so much fun. Uh, yvonne Reese did this too uh as well because I think Chris felt went around to the the bigger shops and and hosted these things and i i I, I just love those events and uh, you know yvonne reese was a place also where I spent a lot of time and they do have two different sitting areas which was a lot of fun because I could go in there and just get lost for the afternoon yeah I would just tell my wife you know what honey I'm I know you got some work to do. So, you know, it's around one o'clock. We just had lunch together. I'll see you back at the hotel at around five. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Put the do not disturb sign on your phone and sit back in the, uh, in the lounge at Ewan Reese and, and away goes the afternoon.
1: That absolutely. And I, and I, and I felt so wonderful that I had had that time and that that time was exceptionally well spent because I'm <laughs> surrounded by people with the same passion and enjoying something intensely that I very much enjoy.
0: That's a perfect spot for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more with John, and we'll be back in just a minute.
1: A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli.
0: And we are back on the pipes magazine radio show, visiting with John Semmel and uh, talking more about pipe shops that you've been to um, in in more normal times? Are there? What are the ones that you look forward to visiting when you're out traveling?
1: The, the Danish pipe shop, especially the new Danish pipe shop the, the what Nick has done there with that shop. It's extraordinary. Yeah. There's there's a beautiful lounge there. The, the shop is so well laid out. The, the selections great. And there's usually a really fun crowd. I just love that pipe shop. That's another one of those Rip Van Winkle locations, right? I could walk in there, I don't know, as soon as they open, and suddenly the sun's down, it's 8 p.m., and I have no idea where the time went, but I know I enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, so that's that's definitely a place that I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to. As far as other shops are, I, I, it's, it's a shame that there there are not more of them that I know of that I can be at. Just New York, for the most part, all of them are gone. There, there's some. The, the ones that remain are primarily around cigars. And if you go into the smoking section of these places, even though they're equipped with ventilation, when you have 15 people in close quarters smoking cigars, it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> it smells like cigars. It tastes like cigars. And even if you're smoking a pipe, you, you, you only taste cigar. So th- those aren't that fun for me to go to anymore, unfortunately
0: so you may as well just grab a cigar if you're going to stop in there anyway
1: that that's absolutely right
0: yeah so let, let's switch to tobacco then um i i've been asking this question of some people lately um what was what's a tobacco of old that is one that you you know one that you're still searching for one that you really miss or you know if if it shows up on the vintage market, you know, forget the mortgage payment, forget buying food, we're buying tobacco.
1: So if I knew then what I know now, <laughs> there's so much more to I would have stocked up on because I just had no idea that any of the stuff would disappear, the original capstan blue that was made in England. Mm-hmm. is my favorite tobacco on the planet. That is just such an exceptional tobacco. It ages so well. I love the flavor of it. It burns so incredibly well. And uh, that's definitely one of those mortgage mortgage your, your your house, sell your kids into indentured surgery, whatever you need to do. You just, just need to go and buy it. Uh, that's one of my all-time favorites. Dunhill Light Flake is another one of those. The old tins of Orlick Golden Sliced from 20, 30 years ago, those those tobaccos are so delicious and you know, or like still being made, but you're not going to find something that, that's going to be comparable with that kind of age on it that's going to taste even remotely similar to those. And uh, I find too that the, the Virginias tend to age differently than the than the English. Uh, Latakia, I mean, from my experience, I don't really notice a big difference in flavor. It becomes perhaps more mellow. But it does not a big difference in flavor versus a Virginia that's that's of the same vintage. Right. Where if there's ten years age on the tin or something like that, the Virginia will really pop, whereas the the London might be a little bit more mellow. But I, I don't find the same impact. the uh, the A and C Peterson mosquito tins yeah. from fifteen years ago. That's just also wonderful stuff. I wish I had known back then. I I so liberally remember. You know, I so vividly remember liberally stuffing three coins into a you know, a big Caminetto egg and smoking it for an hour and a half. And if I didn't finish the whole thing, I just would, would dump out the bottom. You know, quarter. And now, if I could actually have all those quarters of of tobacco rations put together in a jar, I would smoke them all.
0: So, so you you said something that uh, let's back up and talk about Orlet Golden Slice, and I think this may apply to a Scudo as well because I was involved in a vertical tasting of. Uh, of Orlic golden slice that was like a thirty year old version, a ten or twelve year old version and a two or three year old version, do you think those blends have changed over time has the has the factory re have they reconfigured the blends or do, or do you think they're fairly consistent? It's just the difference in the age
1: well. So, a few things probably impact that, right? So, in any given year, whatever crop they're using, and for however long they're using it, once that crop is done and they're using another crop, by definition, it's not exactly the same. Yeah. Now, for different blenders, the tolerances between the differences of the different crops used, for example, or the different ages of crops, some are wider than others. I find Orlick to be fairly narrow in that variance, but the age does have this significant impact on it. it's pure, you know, it's, it's 100% Virginia tobacco and 30 year old Virginia tobacco, that that's good quality stuff that's aged well and it's produced well, it's going to be divine.
0: Does it bother Versus you? Does it bother you now that Orlic is packed in a round tin instead of the, the old square tin?
1: I don't think still make the hundred grams round tins. I thought they did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They make the hundred gram rounds and the 50 grams now are in round tins as well.
1: I, that I didn't know. I only buy the hundred gram tins.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So it doesn't bother you at all?
1: <laughs> not, not at all. It's the same. It's all the same to me. The only difference is the the whoever imports it on the bottom, and if it's the older PSI or Max War tins that I know that has twenty thirty years of age on it, I'll <laughs> that that's one of those mortgage your house for.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm right. I'm right there with you on the uh, on the white painted cans of Escudo. Um Yeah, I want as many as I can get my hands on. Um, what are, what are some of the tobaccos that are out now that you are enjoying and aging and stockpiling and hiding away and, uh, wait and, you know, looking towards the future with them?
1: So a couple of years ago, I think it was about two years ago or before, right before they stopped producing it, I, 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 I bought a lot of tins of the Dunhill Dark Flake I thought that was a very, very good tobacco. I think it'll age very well. When I can find it, the uh, St. James Lake, mm-hmm. uh, Samuel Gout, it's virtually impossible to find, I guess, because everybody like me is looking for it and trying to do the same thing, which is seller it. And and it's funny because that's one tobacco that never, ever, ever comes up on the estate market, the tobacco estate market or secondary market, never. And that's because I think people just buy it and they love it so much that there's no way they'll ever part with it the there's there's the mcconnell scottish flake mm-hmm. i think that that's a very good tobacco all, all the rat stuff that's made by is very very good high quality stuff that's just great whether it's um old gallery or how the wind or brown cluny or marlin flake i think those are great tobaccos that i've always had a, a great experience with and they they they, they mellow out and the flavor really bursts over time with with uh with the sugars that come to the fore, so I, I like those quite a lot. The and some of the other Kohlhaas production, you know, the, the the campaign series, the Wessex campaign brigade, dark flake, and some of the other things there, the Curleys, and there there are some V parts that I've been looking into as well uh, recently that I that I trying to get into, it's really trying to find a great one that I love. The Scudo I I still think is a is a good tobacco, but it's it's not the same as the A and C Peterson version. It's good but it's not the same
0: yeah no i agree it it, it 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 needs a couple of years of sitting and aging now yes yeah. which, which is fine i got time um so and then finally i guess the the last time we had john we we talked about your uh kind of transition from the factory pipes into the artisan pipes and you've traveled all over and met with some of the greats and you've you've been in places that even i'm jealous of and you know had time to sit and talk to yes konowitz at his coffee table um what do you when you're looking at pipes and i guess most of it's now on the internet and you're looking at a pipe maker that is brand new to you you've never owned one what are you looking for What makes you think, yeah, you know, maybe I should try this or maybe I shouldn't try this.
1: So usually I'll, I'll ask whoever the proprietor is Mm -hmm. and it's typically someone who I've done business with just right off the bat. What do you think? What can you tell me? Why, what, what, what was your decision in deciding to carry these pipes? So I get some basic background information. And then when I start looking at the pipe itself, I look at the shape. So for example, if it's a billiard, how well did they nail the shape? And you know, with a freehand, it's a freehand. So there isn't really that much basis for comparison. But a billiard, if you're gonna have a flaw in it or you're not gonna quite catch the line right, it becomes immediately observable. And it's interesting because there are a lot of people who, who are up and coming and who understand wood and grain and can make a pretty-looking pipe, right? Because they know how to hold the block right, and they cut it, and they get luck with the grain, and, and it's a beautiful plain grain. But did they get the lines right? Yep. Are the proportions correct? Is the balance right? So that's one of the things I'll ask uh, who, who the, the, the shop or the, the website providers, How does it feel? So it weighs 43 or 41 or 37 grams, but when you put it in your mouth, what does it feel like? And I'll look at the button. I'll ask to look at the button and see, hey, is this a, is this a big, chunky bit? that they take the time to really shape it properly? And I want to know what kind of wood they used, where, where they got the briar from, because that obviously is going to have an impact. And generally, people get it from the same place for the most part, but you never know. I just want that information. Because it was it was sixteen uh, Everson, I think, it were, and, and uh, he had said, when someone had asked him, uh, and this Rick Newcomb recounted in one of his books, what, what makes for a good pipe? And he said something like this, like 20 to 25% is the ingredients. you got to use good stuff. got to use good briar. you got to use good ebonites and mouthpieces. you got to use good stuff. About 70% then is is the, the craft itself, 70, 75%. How good is the pipe maker? How much attention to detail? Do they know what they're doing? What's their level of experience? And then there was that 5% missing. And the interviewer asked him, well, what about the 5%? And he smiled and said, that's the magic. (laughs) So as a collector and having several hundred pipes, it's that 5% that I'm chasing. So when I look at a new pipe maker and I'm looking at what they're doing, I I, want to see, is that, does that have the potential to have that 5%? And it's almost like discovering that, that, that wonderful new beer that nobody knows about that tastes really great and isn't really expensive, and you're getting it on the ground floor because you know that that's going to be a premium product five years from now, and it's going to be impossible to get. And you discover it early, and you're able to enjoy it before it becomes inaccessible. And I do believe it's the same thing. I, I read these books about folks who collected some of the greats early on when their pipes were prolific and price ranges were different, and they were able to establish a collection in those. Yeah. And I just think, wow, that's amazing. You know, if I could have bought Phone nord and Conovitz and, and 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 Lars Earson and, and some of those other people for, you know, what the everyday price was back then instead of the crazy prices that are being asked for now because of the rarity and and obviously the notoriety and quality and everything else over time and the scarcity, as I mentioned the rarity earlier. Um that that would be amazing and and there are people today who are who are going to be the next legendary pipe makers and the fun is finding those pipe makers and being able to participate in their works earlier on at price points which are affordable where you can buy some really nice pieces that they're making and and not break the bank in the process. And and over time, as you rotate or build the collection of these particular makers, you also get to see their styles evolve, evolve, their skills evolve, their aesthetic evolve. There are lots of pipe makers who I started with five, six years ago, where I still love the pieces that I bought from them, but when I put them side by side with something that they made recently, I can see the evolution of the craft. And that, that for me is yeah. very exciting and I get to participate it all along the way because they're not at a level yet where they're, where they're world famous, you know, uh, deity, uh, you know, of the world of pipes and, and therefore at, at, at price points and, and supplies that I just can't get a hold of.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, and I can edit it out if I want to. Um, who are those guys that you, or who are those pipe makers that you think are going to be the next legendary pipe makers?
1: That's a really good question. I think some of them already, already are headed in that di- direction. If they are not there, so people like Jeff Graysick. Yeah. Uh, Chris Asteriou, The him. Alex F- Florov. Uh, again, these are people who are already... It may be at that higher echelon already, but I, I regard them as, as folks who, when I think about what the gold standard is going to be 15, 20 years from now, there'll be people like that, like Jody Davis. Uh, I'm trying to think of other folks who I've I've, I've collected and, and who are in my collection, Cornelius Mons. um I think that that, and, and there are more names that, that, as you put me on the spot, that are probably not coming to mind, but are, but are in that elite group. For, for, for those, those guys, they will be, and already becoming, I think, you know, uh, Love and Sarah Geiger, beautiful pipes, great work, amazing craftsmanship. These are people who are even, again, right now, already commanding price points are, that are indicative of their high level status and you know, folks who have the potential to be that next even level up from there the people that you look at now like the Nords or the the, the lars uh, or or the es or people are like that or, you know nana Everson's already there right uh but these other folks are making exceptional stuff they're at the top of their game and getting even better as I even said, you know, I, I have a very big collection of, of Jeff Graysick pipes, and I, I, I know him well, and we're 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 good friends. In addition to um, having the relationship around pipes, and every time I think that he has reached a level where he's so good that he can't possibly get any better, he does.
0: <laughs> he finds he finds that next gear to shift into.
1: I, I don't even know how it's possible, but I look at something and I'm holding it in my hands and I, it's just arrived. And, and, you know, I open the box and handles and size playing overhead. And I think, Oh my gosh, this is just extraordinary work. I can't, you know, I, 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 I'm blown away by this. I can't even imagine what can get better. And then a couple of weeks later, something else pops up. And I just thought, Jeff, you, you just sent me this one, and now I got to go get that one because that's better. You know, even more beautiful than the one that I got. I love that shape, and oh my gosh! And that's why I have so many Jeff Grasic pipes because it just keeps getting better. <laughs> and sorry, <laughs>
0: when I, when I, and sorry, kids, you won't get braces for another year.
1: They can wait. That's yeah. okay.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, there's the first that that pipe's not going to wait. Somebody's going to snatch that out. But braces, you know, yeah. a couple extra months, that's okay. <laughs>
0: But so let me ask you this because you you mentioned uh, you know developing a relationship with the proprietor is important i would assume also that when you when you develop that relationship with the proprietor they may alert you to a new product that would be interesting to you maybe a you know maybe a pipe maker that you've never heard of as well
1: yeah though absolutely because over time and, and again, most of the relationships that I have are over 5, 10, 15 years. So first of all, they they have a good understanding of what I like and what I don't like yeah. and what I tend to buy. So they already have a, a really good body of knowledge. So when something else comes to the market, you definitely, as a, as a long-term customer, you get a tip-off that says, hey, have you seen this yet? And oftentimes, they'll, 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 they'll have me look at it because – not to say that I'm expertly informed, but I, I do have an opinion, and I, I, I am a prolific buyer of pipes and collector. So they'll say, hey, what do you think of this? And I remember buying a pipe. I asked, I said, you know what? Have, have so-and-so make me a Lovat. And I received the Lovat. And that person read the wood and the grain exceptionally well. It was beautiful. The grain was perfect. Everything was was lined up. The bird's eye at the bottom, everything was perfect about it. But the balance was off. The proportion was slightly wrong. The bowl was slightly canted forward. And maybe that, that that's what that particular artisan had intended. And it was at a, at a significant price point where as that price point goes up, the choices that you have as a consumer exponentially expand. Right. So, I always ask the proprietor at that point, "Hey, this is priced at the same level as A, B, and C, and I happen to know that pipes from A, B, and C are quite good. Are you telling me that this pipe is as good as the people uh, A, B, and C? Because that's a that's a tall order. And there have been a, a big a big proliferation in 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 the years preceding last year and year before, of new pipe makers, because the market was, was available. And people started, I think, getting out over their skis on what they were willing to charge. So they were, they were charging prices that the market would sustain for that point in time, but perhaps the prices they were charging were in anticipation of their skill evolving, not indicative of where their skill was at that time and that's not sustainable and so what's happened now is you've seen a contraction where even the overseas pipe market in china and and russia they're not nearly as robust as they were that there's been a shakeout and the folks who have been consistently great and getting better at at price points that are commensurate with their their talent and their skill and their product um, continue to thrive and the folks who were out over their skis have struggled more
0: and thus also the benefit of having somebody on the inside that knows what you like and can uh, also direct you away from things that, you know, that you're not going to be happy with.
1: So you, you put your finger on something really important, right? This is all about uh, buying a pipe is all about experience. You really want to have a good experience and there, there is nothing more deflating than having buyer's remorse over that pipe you buy, where it looked really pretty, and you got really excited about it, and once you got it, for that one first moment, you were sort of excited, and then you didn't smoke it, and you stuck it in the drawer with your collection, and six months later, it still isn't smoked, and six months later after that, it's still not smoked, and then you're thinking, why on earth did I buy that? It's too heavy, the shape isn't quite right, I, I thought I was gonna use it, I didn't, and that's just no fun. And, it's, and it, it's expensive if you do that too many times. <laughs> yeah. And so as a result, it's someone who, at, at, who is that gatekeeper who will say, hey, look, you know what? I know what you like. This is going to be too big for you. You're not going to use it or it's too heavy or it's not really your shape. Are you sure you're going to want this? What they're ensuring is that you're going to continue to have a positive experience by avoiding that negative experience and when something does come along that you that, that is within your wheelhouse and something that you're really going to love, you they'll, they'll, they know that and they're going to steer you towards that so that you're going to be even happier because you, have, you avoided a black eye and the one thing that you probably should have avoided to begin with. And then you got something that you really get excited about.
0: It all goes back to that Savinelli deal that was going on at Arnold's and – pipe wasn't going to be right for you and they let you, you know, they, they, they made sure you didn't walk out and be unhappy later.
1: And I'll tell you what, Brian, to that, to that point at that time, it was a $37 and a half dollar pipe. That was something like, I think it was 20% off. So it certainly wasn't something that was going to pay the rent for them. And it wouldn't make that much of a difference to them any which way, but the fact they took the time to tell me that, Uh, And and that that lesson has stuck with me all throughout, so that as I've built up my collection over time, I've always watched for the people that are trying to, quote-unquote, sell me something versus the folks that are treating me like a customer.
0: That is the perfect way to finish this up, and I will not torture you with the uh, fast five final questions again, because you just had them uh, six months ago. So, John, thank you very much for coming on and doing this again, and uh, thanks for... (laughs) <laughs> thanks for more great stories
1: well thank you for having me back Brian hopefully uh I don't wear out my welcome here and maybe even get back asked back again
0: yeah and then we can talk about pipe shows and all kinds of other stuff but uh yeah let's uh I, i'll tell you what let's sit down and do this in person sometime in the future
1: oh boy would that be a treat i i, I can't wait for that i i signed me up
0: yeah John thanks again.
1: Thank
0: you, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes.
1: But you're still at
0: the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby this is internet radio and we are back on the pipes magazine radio show i really I, I really like talking to john i one of these days i want to get up there i want to get up to new york and hang out with him. you know maybe walk around and be the two people smoking a pipe and people yelling at him for smoking a pipe in public anyway it'd be fun yeah All right, for music, and I'll tell you more about the story when we get to the normal rant time, but um, obviously one of my favorite pieces is translated into English is The Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's famous for the Sorcerer's Apprentice uh, scene in Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. If you haven't seen either of those movies, well, you're missing out on some great art. Um, No story, just great art. Uh, but it was written by Paul Dukas and based off of a uh, German poem from uh, the late 1700s. And this is just the middle four and a half minutes of it. If you want to hear the whole chunk of it, you know, just go on to Spotify or onto uh, YouTube, and you can find it. Uh, this part is performed by the uh, this one was performed by the Berlin Symphony, which is it's a slightly different version that I've never heard before. So hope you enjoy it. Again, that's the uh, middle four and a half minutes or so of a 11-plus-minute uh, piece. Uh, go on to Spotify and find it. It's done by the uh, Berlin Philharmonic. Sweet, merciful crap! In the mailbag, remember, if you have comments or questions, email them directly to me, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com. Um, apparently, there was a site upgrade, and one of the things that's kind of broken right now is the commenting on the shows. Uh, So Dan sent me some uh, show notes from the last two shows. Uh, He said with Mike McNeil, he said this was just a sensational show. Mike McNeil really had it going on in this interview. He wasn't wound as tight as usual, and Brian did a great job of keeping him on track. Uh, Mike and Mary's contributions to the pipe hobby are almost too many to count. They are a quality couple. They do a tremendous job of sharing credit with everyone who helped them, and their charity work is more than appreciated. And then he said on last week's show with uh, Russ Hicks, another good show, Russ Hicks was an engaging guest. His bout of coronavirus has a strange twist. Uh, The great majority of patients who suffer sensory loss uh, lose both the sense of taste as well as the sense of smell. To only lose one is not all common. Uh, Hopefully he will get his smell sense back, uh, back to the level it was before he got the disease. Uh, Music was good, but you could have picked a better version of Freeborn Man. Jimmy Martins would have been much better, while Tony Rice is an eclectic guitar player. The style of music he was playing for this recording was bluegrass. If you wanted a song specifically with Tony Rice, you could have picked something like Pound Hammer or anything from the CD he cut with the bluegrass album band. Dan. Thank you, Dan. Uh, And then uh, going over to iTunes... We got a five-star rating and review from Uichi Brett, I'm guessing. And he says, I've only been a pipe smoker for the last few years, but I quickly found this amazing podcast. I don't get to enjoy my pipes as much as I'd like to, so listening each week keeps me a part of the pipe community. Brian is always entertaining and provides a rare look into the pipe world. Very much recommended. Well, thank you very much. And, again, if you're on iTunes, please go over there and do that. Would love that. Uh, Going back a couple weeks. Rob writes in, Brian, just finished last week's show. I know I'm running behind, and this is the Christmas one with my Zoom pipe club. And just wanted to let you know how much I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you and your Zoom pipe club. I got a real kick listening into your chat. Makes me wish I knew pipe smokers here in Denver. Yeah, there is a pipe club here, but my schedule makes it extremely difficult for me to hook up with them. Anywho, thanks again for a great show. Happy Holidays. Thank you, Rob. Sorry it took so long to get to this one. Uh, I just got inundated with stuff over the holidays. Uh, And then finally for this week, uh, Warren writes, Hi, Brian. I'm just now getting into your radio show. Long story, but I'm hearing impaired and so podcasts aren't the easiest to enjoy. But I just received a new sound processor for my cochlear implant that connects to my phone directly so I can hear podcasts better. So I'm working through your episodes, but with 430 plus, it will take a bit. In addition to your great show, thanks for joining the Austin Pipe Club Zoom meetings last spring and sharing your excellent collection of Disney Tabacchiana. Ironically, I found the invoice purchase orders to be the coolest item you have since those seem to be something that would almost never be available to a collector. And I'll mention here, yeah, those um, those invoices and the purchase orders, those are the only things that do not stay out on display. Uh, they stay locked in the safe in case something happens in the house. And then he continues writing, lastly, early in my... In my nearly two-year piping journey, I was spending hours comparing online pipe tobacco retailers trying to find tobacco for my new hobby. My college-age nephew was staying with us, and I shared with him my frustration with comparing availability and pricing from all the different online retailers. Exasperated, I said it would be great to have a website for, for pipe tobacco that shows me who has the tins I want and the prices to compare. Two days later, my nephew calls me over to his computer. He's a physics and computer science major and says, will this work for you? Well, he shows me a working website that pulls the content from a couple retailers and had them in a searchable list. I was blown away that he was able to make that happen so fast. That was the beginning of TurboTin.com. T-U-R-B-O-T-I-N.com which we made freely available as I figured I wasn't the first guy frustrated with spending hours going to the site to find pipe tobacco if you haven't checked it out please take a look and let me know what you think if you ever want to chat about it on your radio show or informally I'd love to discuss it thanks Warren Warren uh, glad you're listening to the show remember I always suggest listen to the new ones as they come out and then get caught up on the old ones and I definitely will I definitely will check out turbo TurboTin.com All right, uh, a couple of things before we get into the rant here. Uh, Remember, comments, questions, email them directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. Coming up the next two weeks, shows will be way pre-recorded because uh, the beginning of next week I'm leaving for Florida for my son's wedding. So we'll have uh, two shows done before I leave. So uh, not much fresh commentary in there. But again, comments... Suggestions, questions, email them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, a, uh, a rave of an observation. apprentice is my favorite version of mickey mouse yeah you know mickey mickey's been uh mickey's been many characters through the years but my favorite version is the sorcerer's apprentice and when you work at the disney store you get to put on there your favorite character and they were and they had the sorcerer's apprentice as one so that's what i chose Well this past week I ran into a guest who is a little girl and I mean a little girl I mean like six years old and she was just absolutely enthralled by Sorcerer's Apprentice and I talked to her parents and her and it wasn't so much just the character as it was actually the part from Fantasia so that's the inspiration for for playing the actual music the Sorcerer's Apprentice by Paul Dukas. But to run into a six-year-old girl who is interested in a 1940s version of Mickey Mouse, and on top of that, she knew all the other versions of Mickey Mouse and the different changes that he went through during the years and the different key characters that he played over the years, but she was fascinated with the Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey Mouse. So I was able to share with her a few of the things that I have that are kind of fun and that day I happened to be wearing one of my, uh, a, a crew letterman's jacket that I have from Fantasia 2000, and I was able to go in the back and show that to her, and we connected, and then she was, you know, so anyway, the real reason that I wanted to work in retail for the holidays and work retail part-time is to find people like that, be around people like that, and it's just, you know, wonderful that her parents are embracing her love of the Classical versions of Mickey Mouse and Fantasia and Sorcerer's Apprentice and all that. And anyway, just made me smile and kept me smiling for a couple of days. So there you go. All right, once again, uh, the next couple of weeks will be uh, pre recorded, but we'll keep shows coming out for you. So just make sure and subscribe and click and like and do all that stuff and uh, comments, ratings, and reviews. We greatly appreciate that. So. Thank you to John for joining me again. Thank you all for tuning in and until next time.
1: Happy
0: anyone, please tell me a podcast that is worse than this. See, I told you.